This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 15. This is Writing Excuses, creating scenes and chapters. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Marianne. And I'm Wesley. All right. Scenes and chapters. You know, this is actually a question I get a lot from students or people coming through my line is, how do you know what makes a chapter? Um, As if there's like some little secret we authors share with each other that we all know, but you have to be in the club to know. So this was one of the places that when I was moving from short stories to novels that my short stories roots showed the most. So that I felt like every chapter, I was treating the chapters like individual little short stories and that they needed to have a beginning, middle, and an end. And what that meant was that I would get to the end of the scene, the end of the chapter, and I would have this resolution. And it meant that it was very, very easy to put the book down. It, it actually made the novel read slow. And what I realized was that uh, that chapters exist to control pacing. And I really started to think about this when people started, when I was, like, people would talk about the three-act structure in novels, and I would get frustrated because, or, because in theater, the three-act structure exists literally to allow you to change scenery. Yeah. That is, it. Mm-hmm. You, you, you need to physically change the scenery. But... I also realized that one of the things that that intermission does and what a chapter can do is that it can allow you to frame the scene, which which helps which helps with how the reader is perceiving the things that go that are occurring in it. And that perception is important. It's kind of like you've got these. Okay, this is going to be a weird metaphor. Okay, very weird metaphor. But in video game racing games. You will have these little V's on the ground, right, that you get your car over and it zips you forward, mm-hmm. right? And what the chapter can do, instead of giving you one big boost and then it's all the way through, you have these periodic things where it's like if you build the pacing right, you get to the end of the chapter, you're like, do I want to step on the little V's and zip myself forward? And you do, and there's a natural momentum to I am now starting something new. I'm in there, and you they kind of zip, just zip through the beginning of that chapter, um, and sometimes, you know, lose some momentum by the end, and the next one zips them through. I mean, so for me, I, I don't have any rules about chapters. Usually, it's like if it feels right, that's what I do. That's when I do it. If I'm changing point of views, mm. or if you know, I need a little block of time between what's happening right now and what's about to happen next. So I don't want to have to describe like, okay, now they're in a car, yeah, going down a road. It can make time pass. Yeah, it can yeah. make time pass. Mm-hmm. So. I'm in a transition period between being a short story writer and a novelist. So I've not yet published a novel. I've written three now, um, and I feel like I've learned things with each one I've written, but I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I have some of the same issues that Mary was talking about in that, you know, my I've got two books of linked short stories, um, Bodies in Motion and The Stars Change, both of which um, I think had resolutions at the end of every piece. Stars Change starts... By, like, the third or fourth story in, I was starting to let go of that, and I, I, I wish I'd kind of gone back and rewritten the opening stories to do that more. So I think that's just a general thing for short story writers to be aware of when they're moving into that transition to—if they're moving into novels. Um, 
what I've been doing, and I'm trying not just to write a novel, but I'm trying to write sort of an epic space opera kind of thing. So I feel like I'm jumping in the deep end because I'm like, I'm trying to plot out a five-book series, (laughs) Um, never having published a novel. But um, what is... Uh, what I've been doing to help me is going back and rereading things. And I reread The Godfather, which was actually really helpful to think about um, what is it. I mean, his prose is not brilliant, right? Um, it's it's very workmanlike. But the book is incredibly compelling. And he he gives you characters in a flash. You You know these people very quickly, and they're problems are compelling and he drags you forward. Um, Similarly, I just started rereading the opening of Game of Thrones. Um, And in the first book, this is a spoiler for the Mm -hmm. opening of Game of Thrones, which I can't imagine anyone cares about at this point, but he has this boy and this older, you know, this young man who you kind of love to hate kind of guy. And the young man gets threatened by a White Walker guy, gets killed, and in any other writer's hands, this chapter would have ended. This prologue chapter would have ended with the boy running home to warn people. But because it's George, he actually ends it with the boy being about to do that and then getting killed by the White Walker. And it's just incredibly gripping. And you're like, I can't believe he did that. And you have to turn the page. Um, so, this is one of George's great strengths. Yeah. Um, I would say for the, his greatest strengths are ability to characterize very quickly. And his ability to control the speed of his story with the pacing, yeah, and particularly w- with chapters. Yeah, and one of the things that he's doing there is is controlling it by audience expectation. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things that I've talked about in in previous episodes where I'm talking about the the mice quotient. Although I've started calling it the mace quotient for reasons. Anyway, mm-hmm. point being that if if you bring if you bring an arc to a close. And the reader is expecting, ah, now we've we've ended that, so there must be an ending to this chapter, to this scene. But you introduce the beginning of the next arc and then break that expectation that, ah, but this is unfinished, this is unresolved. What happens next? Can pull you forward into the next thing. Now, I'll say something controversial sometimes when I talk to writers about this is that a lot of times writers are saying, I try to write my chapters this way, which I do in a lot of my books, meaning I don't want you to put it down. I want some sort of lead-in or hook, hopefully doing it well, not having a hook that is annoying, but leading you to the next chapter. In my big epic fantasies, I often will make the end of a chapter a breather where you can put the book down, right? I get, I try to control where the reader will put the book down because I know they're going to. It's a thousand pages long. You can't read it in one sitting. This is You were talking about theater and moving the scenery, and I heard, tell me if this is true, that the reason intermission reason we have intermissions is because audience members have to pee. Like it's controlled by the human bladder. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is is 100% true. Um, Intermission, and this is actually a a really, a really good point, I think, and we forget it a lot, that that storytelling, which is what we are doing, we are doing this on a written page, but storytelling began as an interactive thing, began as a live experience. And a lot of the things from theater serve very useful functions, like the allowing people to 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 pee. And what you what you want to do is you want to give them that that break, but you also want to give them a reason to come back. Yeah. You want to give and yeah. and finding that balance. Let me, mm-hmm. if I can, indulge in. Uh, let me describe the best use of intermission I've ever seen on stage. And this was with the Macbeth that Patrick Stewart was in, um, and. The Banquo scene, 
so the thing about Shakespeare is that that the act breaks are not encoded. He wrote it all as one act. Uh, those are things that were added later. So the Banquo scene begins with the ghost of Banquo coming down on this this freight elevator at the back of this banquet hall. And he's just drenched in blood. And he walks out of the elevator, gets up on the table, and walks down to the end. None of the other guests see him, only Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart jumps up, stumbles, and cries out, blackout. This is not where that scene normally ends. And we go to intermission, and we're like, ha! And this has totally framed everything from that first thing, like how, you know, and it's, and it, it has stopped in the middle. When we come back, it begins again. The elevator comes down. This time, there is no ghost on it. But we imagine the ghost walking forward, and the scene continues on. Now, the reason this is relevant to to fiction is not because I'm saying you should you should write all of your scenes twice. It's not that. It's because that intermission controlled your sense of what was happening. It was there to raise a question for you. It was there to frame how you had viewed the first act, and it left a question that you wanted to come back and see that see the answer to that. And this is one of the things that you can do with a chapter break, but also in larger form with part breaks when you have a book that's part one, part right. within a single book. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later. Let's go ahead and break for the book of the week, which is uh, Jed and the Junkyard War by Stephen Bowles, one of my students. Um, I like to promote them when their books are coming out. This is a delightful middle-grade book with excellent pacing. I'd say it's one of the biggest strengths of the book is that and the world building. It's about a kid who gets pulled into the junkyard with his kind of a mythological place. He's from our world, but there's this enormous junkyard um, through a portal that everyone who lives there gets their food by searching through the junkyard for cans and opening the cans. They build everything they have out of wow. the magically appearing junk that just is piled on top. Oh and there are creatures that live in the junk that is junk that's come alive that chases them. And there are gi- there are pirate ships. Basically a pirate adventure um, with sailing ships across the sea of junk. Um, and he, it's a delightful middle-grade story, very whimsical, but very tightly paced. Um, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So Jed and the Junkyard War. And we'll get Steven on the podcast eventually, I'm sure. Awesome. Uh, Wes, you were about to jump into something before I cut. So I mean, I was going to say that like, like there are many novels who work off of a thriller kind of pacing. So they, they will purposely set up all their scenes in a way where the purpose of the chapter is to get you to read the next chapter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's annoying to me. I'll be honest. It does. But they can do it. Some of them do it really well. Right. Other ones just yeah, and then and then there are other novels where we, we we utilize the structure of the chapter in order to reset the scene, move on to another point of view, and so you don't 
what I'm trying to say is you don't have to pull that urge for okay a, a, yeah. the reader to like okay I I must give them some I must give them some kind of mini cliffhanger or something to push them forward. Sometimes you just want to frame how the scene works because it best serves the story. Though I would recommend studying some of these books um, because what a lot of them will do is it's a very short chapter. They're like three pages. Yeah. The game, um, the game of Thrones are yeah, not though, quite that short, yeah, but, but still pretty short. Yeah, but he does really short, short ones, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the the really quick pacing, Terry Pratchett does the same thing, though he doesn't call them chapters. Yeah. Yes, he does not have chapter breaks, which yep. is fascinating. Brent Weeks, uh, in his, uh, his newest series, um, I find it really interesting because each scene is its own chapter. Yeah, they're, yeah. So they're really short. They're short, and they're very. It, it does have this kind of breakneck speed to it. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. When is a scene not a chapter? What is the difference between a scene and a chapter? Then, if we're pointing out all these people that are making each chapter a scene, well, I do think that. So, ah, that's a really interesting question. Um, so, for me, that they they are both to a certain degree about controlling pacing. I I feel like chapters are more in some ways about the sense of time passing, whether it's the reader's sense of time of how long have I been immersed in this story, whereas scenes, I think, are about the – tend to be about an emotional um, – they they do tend to have a little bit more uh, completeness to them in some ways. Um, So, you know, you can have a scene that stretches over multiple chapters. But that there is there is a, a self-contained arc going on within a scene. Uh, and then you use the chapter to kind of break how long you feel like that scene is going on. If that I'm not sure if I made any sense at all. So when when would it make sense to break up one scene into multiple chapters or just to keep it one big chapter? I think I mean like when I have done that, because I I, I have I have broken uh a scene that was taking place, you know, over the course of. Uh, so I'm trying to think. So of, I'll jump in on yeah, this. I'm like, I, I, I totally feel, have I examples, like, but I'm yeah. like, uh, but that book isn't out yet. <laughs> I end a chapter almost always in the big books, epic fantasy, with something major having been accomplished or discovered. That is an ending to me. We set out to do one little piece of this plot, and we've either failed or succeeded in accomplishing this. Something has been done. In my shorter books, I am breaking oftentimes at a very different point because in my longer books, I want a chapter to feel like a boom. Like this is – you've read – the chapters in Way of Kings are often seven or 8,000 words long Mm -hmm. uh, for a chapter, whereas in the Steelheart books, a chapter is 1,200 words uh, to 1,500 words. Um, And in that case, I am breaking at each step um, toward this larger goal. And so we'll have like – Five chapters make a scene, mm-hmm. but every turning point or, you know, or step along this scene, you know, we're like, the, there, there are three guys we got to beat. I'm facing the first one. That is end of, cha- end of chapter when I've got the first one, but the second one is coming in to punch me, right? All right. Things like that I will often break to keep that pacing going, and they, I, they, they do different things for me. I feel like you're—I'm a little confused, honestly. You said five mm-hmm. chapters make a scene. I tend mm-hmm. to— I tend to think of scenes as the smaller units within chapters. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. Yeah. So if the scene is, we must get, uh, I'll use one from Steelheart. Yeah. There, my notes are in this building. Um, and we're going to go get those notes. We arrive and we find there are bad guys there. That's actually three chapters, getting the notes back and beating the bad guys. Um, because sometimes we, I, I cut 
at points that are going to be those little zip marks that get you through. And Da Vinci Code's the same way. It cuts in the middle of scenes a lot. So, so, so what are you defining as a scene, I guess, is my question for uh, you. A scene, I'm thinking as more of a traditional, a scene is um, we are in a place and tra- accomplishing a goal. So, so it, he he's breaking scenes at the end of a um, at the at the end of a time span. Yeah, it's time span or location, right? Yeah, or like we enter a room, we have a conversation, we leave a room. That's a scene. Mm-hmm. But there'll often be three scenes in a Way of Kings chapter, whereas in a a, a shorter book, this, that that can off that will be. Each a chapter sometimes split the scene in two. I mean, a, a chapter is flexible. A, a chapter yeah. could be whatever you want it to be. I mean, yeah. when I have like large action action scenes, um, sometimes it'll go to three, four points of view, right. and then I will split up that one large scene by the points of view. Per, so every chapter is a different point of view because that's it. Kind that's of really interesting fits to me. together a little bit better. Now I want to go look at your books. Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. very different from. Like, I, I think maybe I've been too trained by playwriting, right? And this sort of idea that you have a set of scenes within the larger act. And I think I've thought of chapters kind of like those larger acts. Um, so. Which is which is one of the things for me about that was so revelatory about that, that production of Macbeth was that they broke for intermission mid-scene. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the, that scene, that whole arc is still there where you begin in one place and then you, you end when you are exiting that place. And I was like, oh, you can break mid-scene. Yeah. Um, but I, I am also coming from the theater background and have that similar Mode. sense that, that it, it needs to be self-contained. But the the thing that, that just went through my head, uh, I was like, oh, uh, when you're talking about that sting, that bump, that one of the things um, that I have talked about a ton when I'm talking about uh, writing sentences or paragraphs is uh, is listing, that we tend to notice the first thing and the last thing and the stuff in the middle uh, we we tend to gloss over, and that one of the things that a scene break or a, par- or a, a chapter break does for you is that it puts it controls what comes at the end, and that thing at the end is the thing that carries the most emphasis. Which is we we talked about a little bit about you know like the framing, um, uh, the um, into the woods is a great example of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know if that if that intermission break that chapter break so to speak came at a different point. Um, we would have a very different sense, but because it comes at, at the end of the first act, and you're like, "Oh, happy, everything's happy. happy!" Yeah, that that sense of happiness that you carry forward into the next one has now shaped everything that is coming after it. That's actually it, what I love about Hunger Games is because I think she does the same thing with books. At the end of the first book, she gives you this sense of, you know, closures. We've triumphed, satisfaction, etc., and. You start book two, and she is immediately starting to subvert that. And then by the end of book three, you end the series, and she's like, yeah, everything I told you at the end of book one was a lie, you know, <laughs> and this is the world we actually live in. You know, and, and in book one and book two, there's a, there's a length of time that passes between it, you know. Yeah. So if, if it's, it's a lot more difficult to, you know— have a length of time pass in between scenes unless you're going to spend time— researching that time period. Yeah, and and one of the things as well is that uh, when you, you know, you can use it to do the jump cut, but when you come back in, you have to reset the scene. Right. And and that takes time. Um, So when I have a a big passage of time, I'm much more likely to use a part break rather than a chapter break or a scene break. I agree with that. Um, And I do that a lot in my books, the big parts. 
tying them all together. Unfortunately, we are out of time on this episode. But, Marianne, you have some homework for us. I do, and I I actually have two parts of homework. Part one is I think the book that was most useful to me in thinking about um, scene and tension and interruption was Italo Calvino's book, If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, um, which is this short little book translated into English from the Italian where he starts a story, he gets to a tense point, the chapter ends, you turn to the next chapter, he started a completely different story. But you get caught up in it, so you keep reading, you're a little frustrated, you get to the end of the chapter, and then the third chapter, he's done it again, and he does this over and over and over again, and it's for about 12 chapters, I think, and it's really useful to look at, like, reader frustration and satisfaction, so I just recommend reading that. The The other thing is that um, when I was first reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, it kept me up until four in the morning. I could not put the book down. It was the first book in probably a decade that had done that for me, and I wanted to know why. So I sat down and I, I looked at it. It was actually what Mary Robinette was talking about earlier. What she does is she gives you this problem of Harry wants the letters that are being delivered, and the problem keeps escalating. There are more and more and more letters. By the end of the chapter, we have she's she's solved that problem. You've delivered the letters, um, and you know it's an invitation to Hogwarts. But she has already started the problem of they're not going to let him go, and that's what takes you into chapter two. And she does that through the entire book. So my homework is to find a book you love that you can't put down and look at what did the author do to put you in that position. Let me add to that. Um, find a book that you hate but you can't stop reading. Uh, yeah. yeah. There are so many of these. <laughs> and figure out why, even though you hate the book, you just keep turning the page to see what's going on. That's a great addition. All right, guys. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.